This Christmas is uh, probably going to go down as one of the most unusual Christmases uh, that we will ever experience. I mean, just think about all the stuff that, a lot of stuff has changed. A lot has changed. Uh, usually at this time, the last few weeks has been usually filled with a bunch of parties, whether it be business parties, church parties, you know, small group parties, whatever. And, and those have been at, at minimum curtailed. And, you know, I know there've been some Zoom parties and there've been some parties where you have social distancing, but I mean, that, that's not quite the same. Uh, we've had to rethink a little bit on how we even meet with uh, family. Uh, I, I know that there's a ton of shopping done, even more shopping that's been done online. It seems like every third truck that I see out there, you know, is an Amazon truck. So, you know, 2020 is going to go down in history. The Christmas of 2020 is going to uh, go down in history. As a matter of fact, when I thought about uh, what would, uh, you know, what would, what would summarize 2020, uh, somebody sent me this picture uh, right here. I thought, all right, this is kind of a summary. This is Jesus at, at the Lord's Supper, but instead of the disciples being around him, uh, they're on a Zoom call. That, to me, that's kind of like, man, it has been an unusual unusual, stressful, whatever adjective you want to use, that's that kind of year. And while it has been very, very different in some ways, it is also some of the same stuff uh, is, is still there. Uh, for example, I looked up some stats. Uh, we're still going to overeat. 85% of people will overeat uh, this Christmas. And the uh, corresponding fact, 42% of people will unbutton their pants after a holiday meal. Go figure, all right? 88% uh, of people feel stressed during the holidays. 56% of people bite their lip when they're with family during the holidays, all right? Top three topics to avoid with family during the holidays, they say are politics, uh, personal matters, and religion, wouldn't you know it? Uh, the average couple, I don't know how they even get this stat, the average couple will have seven arguments uh, during the Christmas holidays. Uh, again, top five holiday arguments, where to go, uh, money, family, cleaning up, and cooking. Uh, and so those will probably stay the same. You'll also probably figure out a way to watch uh, a Christmas movie. Uh, most of the lists are the same, the ones that I saw over and over again. Number four was Elf. Number uh, three was Charlie Brown Christmas. Number two was A Christmas Story. And everybody knows number one uh, Christmas movie of all time is actually Die Hard just kidding, it's actually a wonderful life, all right? So whatever you do, take time to do that. But one of the things we've talked about as a church, and we did this a few weeks ago when we started this series called uh, Advent, which just means arrival, is there is no holiday. There is no holiday in the Western world that is built up so much to be the, you know, the hap happiest season of all. Because again, every Hallmark movie, every commercial, uh, every special, every show at this time of year is saying that, you know what, this is the year things will be different. This is the year it all comes together, all right? Somebody's going to Jared. We're all going to get a Lexus. The kids are going to be, like, super grateful. The family's going to get along. The meal will be perfect. And then what happens is inevitably is usually, like, right after the wrapping hits the floor, there's this epic letdown, and they call it, they, they call it the Christmas blues. And what we've tried to do over these last few weeks is lean into something that goes beyond that. Because one of the things that advertisers know and what history shows is that every single person, every one of us, every single person watching, including myself, is we all, we all are on a pursuit of happiness. We all want to be happy. And that's, that's great. As a matter of fact, there's a guy in the 17th century who's both a philosopher and a mathematician, which kind of makes him the most interesting man in the world, a Renaissance man. His name was Blaise Pascal, and he basically said this. He said, all men, all people, all men seek happiness, 
This is without exception. Whatever means they employ, they all tend to this end. In other words, what he's saying, that our actions, whatever actions we do take, we think that that action is going to make us happy. The guy named Augustine, he put it this way, he's, and he's probably the most uh, influential theologian in church history, but about 1,600 years ago, he said this, every man, whatever his condition, desires to be happy. And so here's the truth of the matter we can all admit, we can see it through history, is that every person is driven by the belief that, you know what, my action will make me happy. It will give me pleasure. All right? That's the reason you're watching right now. You're watching thinking in some way, you know what, this is going to make me happy. All right? The guy that even does a dumb thing like leaves his family for you know, somebody else chasing that happiness, he does so thinking if I leave my family and go with this other lady, then that will make me happy. And so what I'm going to do is I want to take that, that universal need, that universal pursuit, and I want to show us in a familiar Christmas text that the Bible celebrates that actually God is better than everything else, that actually Jesus is the place that ultimately has the most joy. The truth of the matter is most of us settle for a lot less. But before we jump in the text, let me give you one confession. All right, It felt like last week was Pastor Confession Day. Here's one more. This actually is not the text that I had planned for months and months to be the Christmas Eve text. All right, I had a different text and we we're going to do a deep dive into John chapter 1 and that was sort of on the agenda, on the planning sheet for a long time. But about three or four weeks ago, Good friend of mine, I'd say, you know, one of my, one of my top five friends, guy that, uh, you know, he sends me text, he can have, I've given him permission, he can ask any question he wants to. I mean, he's that real friend, but he just sent me a, he just sent me a text and he just said, Hey, I'm praying for you, praying for your ministry, praying for your family. But then he said, I'm praying for your joy. And when that, I know he meant it as an encouragement and I haven't really followed up with him, but I've been thinking about it now for the last couple of weeks thinking that, and God convicted me that, you know what, that has been missing, particularly in the last few months in my life. When I look at the characteristics of what a Christ follower is supposed to be, if you look in Galatians 5 and you see nine characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Of those nine, number two, joy was the one that, whether it be COVID fatigue, whether it be just man, I'm just so done with 2020 or whatever that is, I had ceased to the circumstances, the whatever, the pressure, I had been absent of joy. And so what the Lord said is like, listen, you need to recover that joy. You need to recover that thing that in some ways makes you distinct from other people, other people that don't know me. That's what I want you to recover. And maybe you're in the same boat. Maybe the pressures and the anxiety and the circumstances and the unusualness of uh, 2020 uh, that's something that has gone missing in your life. And so in this text, I think what we're going to emphasize and what we're going to see is, all right, how do I recover the joy this Christmas? How do I recover that? So let me go to a pretty familiar text. I'm going to skip around a little bit uh, in Luke chapter 2. But let me, read this, let me read this story, and then we'll kind of walk through some principles. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then we'll skip to verse 16 and it says this, and they went with haste. And what I've done is I've highlighted the things that I'm going to jump back to, to talk about, okay, how do we cultivate this? You're like, you know what? I want that. I want that 
supernatural inside delight that I used to have. Maybe I had it pre-COVID. Maybe I had it the first part of COVID, but you know what? It is gone. It's not there anymore. I don't have that supernatural delight in the things of God, in the beauty of God, the word of God, God's work in the world. It's just not there. God wants you to have it back. God wanted me to have it back. I'm mostly there and God wants you to have it back. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. There's a phrase we'll finish up with. For all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. All right, let me, uh, let me give you a little bit of background before we kind of jump in here. First of all, the word shepherds, all right. Of all the people, of all the people to pick for the angel to give the announcement of Christmas to, it's important for us to realize he didn't choose a rich person like Herod. He didn't choose an awesome capital like Rome. He didn't even choose religious people like the priests. He chose shepherds. Now, I know in our day and time, shepherds have sort of been romanticized into being that kind of that cute and cuddly person with the, you know, the crooked little hook and, he can, and the fluffy little sheep and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, back in those days, Shepherds were looked down upon by virtually everybody. It was like the lowest rung on the ladder. This is the job nobody wanted. As a matter of fact, oftentimes this job would go to kids. And if you're an adult, if you're an adult and you're still a shepherd, that wasn't the job you wanted. That was the job you got stuck with. They couldn't even go into temple because they couldn't abandon their flock. So in that day and time, basically think of this, all the religious activity, all the ways that God's people back then, they would go to temple and talk with God that got squeezed out of the religious life of Israel. They couldn't even participate in that. Most people looked at them as crooked and dishonest and thieves. They actually, without special permission, could not even testify in court. Shepherds were outcasts, they were outsiders, they had no future prospect, their lives were messy, and yet God made an announcement to them. And one of the things that tells us is that Christmas is a special message for those whose lives are not characterized by some awesome circumstances and how this is the you know, cherry on top of an awesome life and how awesome they are. This is actually a message a profound message of joy to those who are in despair and whose lives are messy. It's the person whose cancer has not gone into remission. It's the one that grieves over the prodigal. It's the one who is devastated by divorce. It's the one who has lost their job due to cutbacks and furloughs. It's the one that cannot seem to get out from under the stress of the pandemic. All of those. So before I try to figure out how do we cultivate this back and kind of tell you a little bit of a journey I've been on, Let's do a quick distinction of there's a difference between happiness and joy, all right? There's a difference between happiness and joy. And the easiest way to think about it is happiness. We get our word happy from, and again, I'm not, I'm not anti-happy, all right? I'm not that guy, all right? I'm pro-happy, all right? I, happy is better than being sad. I'm pro-happiness as long as we just understand the limitations of happiness, all right? As the word shows, happiness is based on happenings. And if all you had in 2020 was, you know what, I want to be happy, then uh, 2020 has been a particularly bad year for you. But it's, it's really built in, particularly if you're from the States, this is built into our uh, DNA. I mean, it's in the Declaration of Independence, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Matter of fact, a while back, I remember seeing a study of mothers, and the mothers were asked, what do you want for your children? 
And the Jewish moms, the Israeli moms, they said, you know what, I hope my kids are obedient. Asian moms said, you know what, I hope my kids are successful. American moms said, I hope my kids are happy. Now the problem with that is this, is we will chase after certain things, and we all do it, we chase after certain things over and over and over and over and over again, and that oftentimes work for a while and definitely can bring some degree of happiness, but God wants us to have something much deeper and longer lasting than that. But here's some of the things we chase. We, probably number one on the list, you just gotta go into any Barnes and Noble, and it would be just self-improvement, self-improvement. Now again, uh, so we're not anti-self-improvement. We're not, you know, I mean, God wants you to be uh, growing and strengthening certain areas, but the idea of self-improvement is if I could just change this about me, then, then it's the, it is the ultimate carrot on a stick. If I can just improve this part about me, then I will be happy. Then I'll be happy. And it can be every different shape and size. It can be physical. If you don't believe me, just on January 1st, January 1st, after we have gorged on Christmas food, January 1st, pandemic or not, the gyms will be as full as they can possibly be. All right, Peloton, every exercise equipment, all that stuff. If they're not going to the gym, they went ahead and bought on credit all this exercise machine thinking, you know what, if I can just get in shape, if I can just have six pack again, if I can just have that, then it'll be okay. If it's not physical, it can be vocational. Vocational is the idea, man, if I can just have that corner office, if I can just get this raise, if I can just have that, then I'll be happy. So sometime it's that. The number two would be stuff. All right, maybe stuff and experiences, stuff and experiences. Uh, even retail, I mean, we call it, we call it retail therapy. Be, to be honest, that does feel good for a while. It does feel good for a while. As a matter of fact, about 10 days ago, uh, I was over there in Brevard, North Carolina, and where our newest campus is uh, gonna open here in, at some point here in a month or two. And here's the idea, when I was over there, I had a lunch meeting and then I got done. I'm like, man, I just am still kinda got the blaws. And then I went to my new favorite store, Dee Dee Bullwinkles. I'm like, I love that store, all right? Everything in it, most stores you can go into and you're like, you know, that's, the, you know, that's stupid, I'm not gonna use that, and that's kinda trinkets and whatever. I go in there and I'm like, I love everything in this store. And so I went in there and somebody gave me a gift card and I went in there. I think actually I got this shirt there, as a matter of fact. It was like a little Christmas, Christmas shirt. And, and I did love it. I still like it, but it, new stuff felt so good for a while. But as I thought about it, as much as this shirt, as much as I like it, as much as I like all this stuff in there, truth be known, you fast forward a few years, that's, I'm going to be taking that to Goodwill. I'm going to be dropping that off to Goodwill for a tax write-off. It feels good, it just goes away. Or experiences, you know, bucket list this, bucket list that. And then if not that, and probably for, for the West right now, but the number one thing, if it's not self-improvement, is just relationships. It's relationships, you know what? If I can just get married, if I can just get married, if I can just find Mr. Right, if I can just find Mrs. Right, then I'll be happy. I hate married people. Does marriage make you happy? Now listen, if you're watching with your spouse, the answer to that question is absolutely. But the truth be known is sometimes it does. It sometimes it does. Sometimes it's a challenge. Sometimes it's like the wheel of fortune. You're spinning like, come on, come on, happiness. Want happiness. But if you're looking for your spouse to make you happy, if you're looking for them to fill the hole in your heart, if you're looking for that, then you are putting a weight on them that they will not be able to bear upon. Nobody can. Because the truth is, 
Whoever you married is a wretched, black-hearted sinner that was so wicked, Jesus had to die for them. And if Jesus had to die for them, I promise you, they're gonna get on your nerves at times. And they are awesome, they're an awesome gift from God. They're an awesome gift, they're a terrible God. And when good things, when good things, like a spouse, when good things become ultimate things, they end up just falling in on themselves because that's not what they were designed for. That's not what you were designed for. You were made by God and for God. And until you find that out, all the chasing is going to be the cul-de-sac of stupidity, just going around and around. And it's not the stuff is bad. It's just thinking those things will ultimately bring me the fulfillment and joy that I'm looking for. That's the cul-de-sac of stupidities because we keep going around and around and around. Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis, great writer, he said this. He said this in a great book called The Weight of Glory. He said, we are half-hearted creatures. He said, we are like the ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. In other words, there's so much better. And so here's where the story goes. The angel comes along and he says, I want you to orient around the fact that Jesus is better than everything else, that the most pleasure possible is you being reconciled to God in Christ. And so the question then becomes, how does that happen? How do I do that? How do I, how do I do that? How do I get that joy? Some of you had it and lost it. Some of you've never had it. The question is, how does that happen? All right. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through the story. I'm going to bring out a few principles because the Bible says the heart is like a garden. All right. If you till it, and we've got to till it, and we've got to cultivate it, and we've got to work it, and if we do, it'll bring forth great fruit. But if we ignore it, if we never work it, it'll get overgrown in the same way. How do we cultivate? How do we pursue joy? How do we pursue the Christmas joy? So I'm going to walk through these, and the first one is they all go together. The first one is obviously sort of it's the foundation, then you build on that, but here it is. And I tried to pick my words carefully. I just put the words soak in the gospel. Soak in the gospel. The first thing that came to mind is called a crock pot. And I don't know how regional crock pots are, but I'll just tell you the Frank household, we're big fans of crock pots. As a matter of fact, my wife's getting another crock pot for Christmas. All right, hopefully she's not seeing this until we, you know, until uh, after we open the presents. But a crock pot, and if you don't know what those are, they're a gift from God. A crock pot is basically a slow cooker. And I cannot tell you the joy that comes into my heart when I walk in the door in the evening and there's been something in the crock pot just sitting there slow cooking in those juices the entire day. And you walk in and you're just like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is going to be a great evening, all right? But the idea is it's not a microwave deal. It's not something I put in for 25 seconds or a minute. It's a slow cooked meal and it's awesome. Now, when you look at the text, it says, I have good news of great joy. Now, this is super important. Again, I'm not sure how you grew up. I didn't grow up in church. So when I heard good news of great joy, you know, when you hear somebody say good news, I mean, good news is nobody has a hard time understanding good news. Somebody says, I got good news for you. I mean, you think, man, what would that be? It's like you won the lottery. Or uh, if you're in school, everybody gets an A, okay? It's an all skate. Everybody gets an A plus in calculus or algebra, whatever the hardest class that you've got in. Or you, you're going to work. I got good news for you. You have a raise or you got a bonus or you got a Christmas bonus. And what it says here is I have good news. Good news is the word we get our word evangelism from. And you got to understand it's good news, all right? It's not advice. All right. The gospel is not advice. 
The gospel is not be better, live this way. It is an announcement. And here's what's super key. The gospel is not be religious, get your act together. I mean, that's not even new news, all right? The good news of the gospel is, listen, you didn't live the way you were supposed to live, all right? You and I didn't follow the commands of God. You and I broke every single one of them. But the good news is that, you know what, <laughs> you broke it, you didn't live right, but Jesus came as a substitute and lived right, lived sinlessly, and then died as a substitute for you so that you and I can then have reconciliation with God. And then when we repent and embrace Christ, he gives us the spirit of God so that we can actually live the way that we are called to live. We can love our wives. We can love our kids. We can be the employers who are supposed to be all of that. That's the good news. So when you look at it, it says, the good, I've got good news of great joy. And then verse 10 says, it's the only time in the Bible all three of these titles are there together. All right. Christ, Savior, and Lord. It's the word Savior. Savior means rescuer. Savior means deliverer, it means hero, it means hope. Christ is the idea of anointed one. It's the picture of what the Bible has talked about over and over and over again. One of the things we talk about all the time in our church is the whole Bible, this whole book, including the first half of it, all point to Jesus. All right. They all point either forward to Jesus, they point to Jesus, or they point back to Jesus, but the whole Bible points to Jesus as the hero. Genesis chapter 3, it talks about you're going to have a hero at some point. You go through all the different places, the inability of us to keep the law. Moses comes down, gives us 10 commandments. The commandments are not for you and I to be right with God because we obeyed them all 100%. It's a picture. It's a schoolmaster to tell us, you know what? You broke all of those, so you need a hero. You need a deliverer. Then you go through all that sacrificial system about, you know, here's a picture. Here's a picture. Somebody else has got to take your sin away because you've got way too much of it. Then you get to these Old Testament pictures like 700 years before the birth of Jesus in Isaiah, it says this, it says, he was pierced, who? Who was pierced, this coming hero? He was pierced for our transgressions. By his wounds, we are healed. And then a guy named John the Baptist steps out on the first pages of the New Testament and says, you know what? Our hero is here. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so when you look at this, even as a believer, oftentimes if you grew up in church, I know a lot of you did and a lot of you didn't, but Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, he said this. He says, we are hardwired toward works righteousness. In other words, the, the gravitational pull, even for the believer, is to go back toward trying to impress God by what I do. And what happens there is, and, and, and even if you think about it this way, when you look at the epistles, which are those letters explaining how the gospels work, when you look at that, the epistles, by and large, were written to believers, already Christians, not telling them how to be saved, but going back and forth and reminding them, listen, it's got to be rooted in an understanding, a soaking in of the gospel. And so last week, actually, we looked at 1 John 4.10, and it's a verse that said, top 10 verse to memorize. And here's the way the verse goes. It says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we're trying to tease that propitiation word out. It just simply means a payment that satisfies that when Jesus died on the cross, when he said, you know what, it is finished. When he died on the cross, he satisfied the justice of God, the wrath of God, the just wrath of God toward all our rebellion, toward all of our sin. And when you and I grasp that, when we soak in that, it doesn't just change your address of where you're going to go when you die. That's not the only thing. It's not your ticket into heaven only. It changes everything if we soak in it, if we reorient around it. 
It changes, for example, just the, the insecurity, the self-esteem stuff, all right? Our self-esteem is not built on, oh, how awesome I am or how big the church is or what a great parent I am or what did my little son bat in Little League? That's not what it's based on, that we play to an audience of one. As we said last week, if you're in Christ and God is satisfied with what Jesus did on the cross, then he cannot be dissatisfied with you. If you and I just can understand that, do you know what that would do to when we look in the mirror, you're like, you know what? You don't look in the mirror and you go, you know what? That guy's an awesome person. You don't look in the mirror and go, that person is a terrible person. You look in the mirror and you go, you know what? That guy's been bought with a price and he is loved and he has been forgiven and grace has been shown in his life. Same way you do guilt. Bible says uh, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so instead of, if I soak in the gospel, instead of running from God, I'll run to God in repentance. Even the way I treat people. You know what? I can love people, not use people. I can love people because you know what? God loved me. I can forgive people. Why? Because I've been forgiven. If I've been forgiven, I can be then a forgiver. And even stuff, even stuff, if we soak in the gospel, we really can enjoy it. We really can enjoy stuff as a gift. Let me think about this. Uh, I mean, if you're not a, I mean, I'm a carnivore. So if you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry, you're missing out. But we're not, all right? I'm a carnivore. So let me just say, use this as an example. If you, if you get, let's say, a ribeye steak and you cook it as you should, medium, all right? And you cook, them, you cook that medium and you bite into that steak. If somebody's not in Christ, if they don't know that, you know what, pleasure is found in God, they were made by God and for God, guess what? All they can do, the ultimate thing that they can do is go, man, that's a, that's a good steak. But if you're a Christ follower and you are soaked in the gospel, not only can you enjoy the steak and go, man, that's an awesome steak, but then that can also not just terminate on that steak. It can go up to praise the God and go, man, praise God from whom all blessings flow. God made the cow. God gifted the cook. God gave me the blessing to come in here and afford this awesome steak. Thank you, God, for this amazing steak. Even our stuff, even the money. We don't worship money. What we use money for the glory of God. Which, by the way, if you are if you're if you're not a Christ follower, man, this Christmas drive that thing down. All right, don't turn off this webcast and go. You know what? I'm not sure. Just make sure that you know whether you are or whether you're not. Then, if you're not, I mean, right where you are. If you're in your living room, if you're in your bedroom, if you're at the table, if you're in a coffee shop or wherever you are, if you're not a Christ follower, like, man, I want that. I want that. I want a God who loves me and knows me. I want that. Then right here in the Christmas story, you see it. Just say, you know what? I want a savior. I want a hero. I want a rescuer. I want a deliverer. And just say, God, I now believe that when you died on that cross, when you said it is finished, somehow, some way that counted for me. And you're the Lord. I'm no longer the boss of me, you're the boss of me. That's called repentance. And so I'm repenting and I'm believing and I'm trusting in Jesus. And you just tell him. You can do that with your eyes open. You can do that with people right around you, not even knowing you're praying. Just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know you're the hero. I know you're the savior. I know you died on the cross for me. So would you be my savior? Would you be my Lord? Would you be my boss? Man, we'd love to know that, by the way. Just right there in the, right there in the comments, um, They'll tell you how to text and we can get that journey started, but make sure you soak in the gospel. And by the way, and if you are about, if you're already a believer, you still got to reorient it around it. But let me, let me do a couple more that are a little bit quicker. Once you have actually soaked in the gospel, once you've embraced Christ, then let's say bottom line is there is a pursuit. There is a pursuit of the Lord. 
In the Christmas story, it says, go to the city of David. That's Bethlehem. It's about six miles from Jerusalem. So verse 11 and then verse 15, it says, well, then let's go over to Bethlehem. And then it says, they went in haste and they found the baby Jesus. This Christmas, to be blunt, you're as close to God as you want to be. The principle in here is, you know what? He said, go to Bethlehem. Go, do, go over here because you know what? You go over there, you're going to find God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, when we talk about restoring joy and all this stuff, and listen to me, if you're a Christ follower, if you're not a Christ follower, happiness is the most you can get. Joy is something God gives us as we delight. It's supernatural. I looked at a bunch of definitions, didn't choose to put one in your you know, on the screen and all that stuff. But basically a mashup of all those definitions is that joy is supernatural delight as you see the beauty of God in the word of God and in the world. As you see God work and his purposes and fleshing that out, that even in the midst of a sorry year in so many respects, you're like, you know what? I saw God move. I saw God, I saw my kids read the Bible for the first time. My wife and I prayed together for the first time. Uh, I was humbled so much that, you know what, I had to pray for the first time. And so when you look at that, uh, understand when we talk about joy, God doesn't hand out joy like a pharmacist hands out pills. This is super key. You're like, I, I want joy and I know Jesus. I just don't. You got to understand, God does not hand out joy like a pharmacist hands out a prescription. That's not the way he works. What happens is you lean into God you lean into God, you not only get God, but the other stuff actually comes along with it. Right? That's why it's called uh, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And some of you, to be quite honest, some of you, Christ, you know, Christians, you're actually right now is probably the biggest desert. I can't tell you how unhealthy it seems like in the past few months we've been able to see uh, just Christians, whether it be marriages breaking up, uh, uh, you know, stuff that just was not part of it. Christians just, just being dumb and just so discouraged. As you, just understand that it's a desert time for some of you. And granted, the tools have been altered without a doubt. Tools have been altered from the past few months, from community to worship to your church to serving. And we kind of become like that Snickers commercial, you know, when we're just, we're just hangry. You're like, you're not yourself. You're not yourself. And they're like, hey, eat this. And all of a sudden they go from somebody they weren't to somebody that they really are. That's a lot of believers right now. But understand, when you pursue the Lord, all those tools that God gave you, they're still there. You just might have to adapt. You're watching this online. Normally you're used to being in here and seeing thousands of people put a candle up, all right? It's not forever, but it is for now. You still can be in community. As a matter of fact, you want to get in community, you can just put that in the notes and somebody will get you in community. You can still get in the word. You can still have your God time. You can still have your, you can still have your word time and you can still have your people time, just like we all need. All right, but pursue him, pursue him. You're like, I'm thirsty. It's a desert for me. When you and I don't take care of the tools that God gives us to grow, it's like you're a thirsty guy standing right in front of a water fountain saying, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. It's like, well, then drink up. Again, you and I are as close to God as we choose to be. And so let me give you this third principle and we'll close up. Here's what he says. And this is going to be super quick, but I couldn't leave it out. Just walk in thankfulness. Verse 20 just simply said, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. 
Here's what I found out is uh, we all walk in a continuum on one hand of gratitude and on the other hand of entitlement. And what the Lord showed me over these past few weeks in particular was I had so focused not on all the stuff God had blessed me with, what I was focusing in on and dialing into is, you know what, what I don't have and what I should have and what could have been and what should have been instead of marveling at how good God has been to me. And so just take some time over these days and marvel at how good God has been to you. If you've got health enough to just watch this, there's a lot of people that can't see, they can't hear, they don't have the health to even sit up and, and watch and listen. If your kids are okay, we got folks all over the world, their kids are not okay. You had breakfast this morning. Man, you're more blessed than a ton of people in the world. You got friends, a church, a roof, a presence, warmth, all of that, all of that stuff. And so let me close with this. The Bible over and over and over and over again simply says that Christmas is about a celebration that Jesus is better than everything else. John Stott said, you know what, one of the main indicators, one of the main marks of a Christian is joy. And so here's, here's the story that came to mind, and I'll, I'll do it, um, I'll go back a ways. So like probably 14 years ago, I think it's 14, 15 years ago, and we were living in Houston, Texas. And Houston's on the Gulf Coast, and so you get hurricanes periodically. We'd actually dodged a ton of them. And then it was whatever that year that Rita was, but then a few months later, or excuse me, Katrina was, and a few months later there was another hurricane in the Gulf. It was called Rita. And people panicked, man, because it was like the largest evacuation in U.S. history getting out of there. We chose to stay, and while the storm didn't, like, hit us dead on, it kind of went a little bit east of us, it's still, you know, the wind blew, the rain came, the clouds covered it, and the power went out. And the power was out for days. And so our boys were, I don't know, in grade school at that point, and um, when the power goes out in Houston, you know, you're not worried about staying warm, you're worried about staying cool. And so the power went out. And to be honest, the first day was pretty fun. I mean, we were like, hey, we're camping. Power's out. We're camping. And, we, you know, we're out there. And we, I think I made a little fire. We made some s'mores. And, you know, and that, was, that lasted about a day, about a day. Because by the second day, it wasn't fun anymore. It was difficult. It was hard. We were bickering. We were on each other's last nerve. When is this power going to come on and all that stuff? And then that second night, I was kind of walking around the neighborhood, and I looked at one of my neighbor's houses, man, and their lights were on. And I'm like, the power is not on. I know the power's not on because it's still off, and everybody else's house was dark. But I'm looking in there, and these lights are on. Man, they're in there. I kind of look a little, I didn't try to be that guy looking in people's window, but I could look in there, and it's like, man, they're having a great time, man. They're in there playing board games and cooking popcorn and just having an awesome time. And about that time, I heard this kind of this whir or this rumble. And that was when I was first introduced to how good it is to have a generator. And what, what that was, was that was like an external source. That was something that regardless of the circumstances that come along, even if the winds blow, the rain comes and the power goes out, if you have something that other people do not have, not everybody else has that, then you and I can have that, you know what? What is that? How can you still be thankful? How can you still be joyful even during this time? I was like, you know what? That's how. Because when you're a Christ follower and we saturate in the gospel and we pursue the Lord and we focus on how good God has been, uh, then we are like the Apostle Paul who says, you know what? You are to shine like uh, lights in the world. And so what we're going to end our service with is uh, if you've got a 
if you've got a phone that has a light on it, if you've got a candle, um, then uh, go ahead and get that. And uh, what we're going to do is we are going to uh, we're gonna sing a song about the adoration of God. And as you do that, uh, I want you to use that picture. Just use this as kind of as a, as a symbol, as a picture, as a challenge for you. <laughs> challenge for you. At the same time, this is a challenge for me. It's a challenge for you to say, you know what? I want this to be symbolic. I want this to be a picture. It can be a picture of whatever your commitment you're making is. Maybe for some of you, you're a brand new believer. You're like, you know what? Because Jesus said, you know what? I'm the light of the world, talking about himself. But then he says, when you become a Christ follower, it's actually you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. I live in you, and I'll then want to live through you. For others of you, this is the time where, like, you know what? My joy has gone. It's no longer the way it used to be. And this is the, this is the Christmas I get it back. I'm going to pursue the Lord. I'm going to focus on the goodness that God has given me. And um, for others of you, it's like, all right, this is a chance. I'm going to be, I want to be a light. And just you want to pray, God, would you help me be a light to uh, my family? Maybe you're going to see them. Maybe you're going to Zoom with them. Maybe they're coming for dinner. Maybe they're not. But you've been praying for them and just say, God, would you help the joy of Jesus come through my life? So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. I'd encourage you, again, light that, challenge yourself, worship, and then I'll come up when it's done. But, Father, right now we want to pray. That's what we want to pray. I want to pray for the people that are watching. Pray to encourage them with the gospel. Pray to, if they don't know Jesus, God, would this be the Christmas? Would this be the time where they understand, you know what, you died for them in their place, not just for them but instead of them. And I pray that that in and of itself would bring them great joy, that they could be redeemed and adopted and purchased, and they are known and they are loved. God, I pray that we would pursue the Lord and understand that, you know what, the source of our greatest joy, our greatest pleasure, it's found in you. And God, 2020 has been rough, but God, you are still good. And so God, help us to focus on all the awesome things you have done during this Christmas time so we can be grateful and thankful people. God, use this song to bless our hearts and use this song to bless your heart. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>